really for me, the biggest thing that affects my relationship with my body is the fertility aspect because, um, you know, it's funny, I never wanted kids. And then <laughs> I met my partner and we got married and I was like, oh, like all of a sudden, like, I get it. Now I understand why you would, you would even want a child. <laughs> and I, you know, oh, now I kind of want to have a baby. And now I'm like, oh, well, you may not be able to. Move away from the shame and feel less alone. Welcome to the PCOS and Food Peace podcast, where you will find companionship and never another diet. Hosted by nutrition experts, Julie Duffy Dillon and Kimmy Singh. We want to walk alongside your PCOS journey. There's a comfortable spot at the table waiting just for you. Let's begin. Chapter 5, Laura Burns on Infertility and Hurricanes. Hi, and welcome to the PCOS and Food Peace Podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon. And I am Kimmy Singh. We are so glad that you're here with us. And we put together this show with you in mind, hoping that it brings you some companionship that you're looking for as you navigate your PCOS journey. Kimmy and I have worked hard to put this show together, and we want to shine a light on voices often not heard in PCOS circles. You will hear from people like Ivy Felicia, Jess Baker, Danny Adriana, Sophie Carter-Kahn, and many others. Every interviewee was asked a series of questions about their PCOS journey. This episode features Laura Burns. She's from Radical Body Love, and we think you're going to really enjoy this interview. But first, we're going to start this episode, how we start every chapter of PCOS and Food Peace, with a listener question. We gathered these questions from Instagram, through our Facebook community, or our email newsletter. Today's question comes from Instagram. Check us out on Instagram. You can find Julie at Food Peace Dietitian, and you can find me at Tasting Abundance. An anonymous user asked us, um, I'm 32 and recently diagnosed with PCOS. I'm not ready for a baby just yet, no partner and in grad school, but I am terrified that I won't be able to conceive in a few years when I'm ready. Everything I hear says weight loss is the only way it's possible. This is a great question and it's really relatable for me, um, especially because when I was first diagnosed with PCOS, I was only 19. I was a sophomore in college, not trying to have kids, but I was initially told, yeah, whenever you want to have kids, you're going to probably have some trouble. And that was a major shock factor about PCOS. I feel like there was a part of me that wanted to like deny my PCOS diagnosis. And I really think it stemmed from that fear of not being able to conceive, even though I knew in that moment I wasn't ready for it. That's a lot of information for a 19-year-old to get. It's mm-hmm. like so much. Um, like It's like your whole life that's basically on your shoulders at one time. Well, mm-hmm. I... Um, I'm really excited for the listeners to hear your interview, Kimmy, because you sat down to discuss your PCOS journey and people are going to hear about it in chapter 10. So be sure to listen to that because I know you go more in depth on that part of your experience. But I I really um, am glad this person asked this question because, you know, infertility is a really big part of PCOS. And I kind of say that in a sense, rolling my eyes, not because it's not a big part. It is a really, really big part. But sometimes I feel like it's the only part that some people uh, hear about with it. 
but it is the number one cause of infertility. So for many people, it's heartbreaking to have to experience infertility. And I, I think when people are given the diagnosis and said, well, you better lose weight or you're never going to be out of kids, which is basically what I feel like this person is saying that they got. Um, that's just like fear. And fear doesn't help people make choices that are coming from a place of health and like sustainability. It like leads to like fad diets and like things that are not going to work long term. And when we dig through the PCOS research with infertility, it's really interesting where um, they come up with the information to recommend weight loss as the primary treatment. I did a really big deep dive into infertility and PCOS on the Dietitians Unplugged podcast a few years ago. I'll put a link to it in the show notes if anybody's wanting to take the deep dive into it. But what I basically found is the official statement on losing a certain amount of weight to improve fertility before people start fertility treatment like medications with PCOS. It was linked to a 1992 research study that found, that was a really small study. I don't remember the, the number of people in it, but it wasn't a very big study, but it, it found that the weight change helped improve egg quality, but it did not improve live births. So the eggs may have been shinier and better, but there weren't more babies coming from it. And then also <laughs> the people, that same article, they discouraged weight um, dieting around conception like if someone's trying to get pregnant, they discouraged it because it may have really significant poor outcomes for fetal development. So I'm like, and so why did you say that we need to include weight loss as a recommendation when the very paper that they were citing was discouraging it? I just found it really asinine. I don't know. I didn't make sense to me. So, um, I, yeah, I, I think it's to me, I'm like, that just smells like fat phobia. Uh, yeah, I don't know what you think. I think it's such a great example of like when you see a headline for some a breakthrough in science, whether it's PCOS related or not. Um, a lot of times there's more to the story. You're not necessarily saying that it's not valid, but um, yeah, sometimes you have to dig deeper. You never know what you'll find. And a lot of times there's a ton of weight stigma stuck in there. Mm-hmm. Totally, tons of it. Well, and Laura Burns, the person that we're hearing in this episode, she talks a lot about her infertility experiences, and it's a really great interview. Yes, and I hate that I had to miss it. Um, some of you listeners may know and some may not. I actually recently got married and had my honeymoon and moved across the country to New York City. So for the past two weeks, I've been a little bit busy and I unfortunately had to sit this interview out. Yes, I was so bummed. And Laura was bummed too, because I think y'all would have really connected. But we're going to hear from Laura and all her wisdom in just a few moments. But first, a brief commercial break. This Q&A segment is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace course. My name is Julie, and I help women with PCOS to promote health, make peace with food, and radically reconnect with their own innate wisdom. I know it's probably been a long time since you felt like you could align with your body. You've been pushed to diet and diet and diet, no matter how hard it is. And I have a feeling, just like so many people that we interviewed for this podcast, that you also were dismissed and told just to try harder, even when it hurt. Well, after working with hundreds of women with PCOS, I've come up with a 12-step system that helps people with PCOS 
move away from diets, and finally reconnect with that innate wisdom that they were born with. You were born with it too. I believe that you can do things like intuitive eating, mindful eating, all those non-diet approaches that you probably have heard other people do, you can too with PCOS. It just looks a little bit different at times. And that's what this course is all about. It's not another diet. Oh my goodness, totally not. Because I have been working for the last 20 years to help people move away from them. And so this is something that's different and unique and you won't be able to find anywhere else. A little bit about the course. It's self-paced and it's all downloadable. So whether you learn best by video, audio, or just reading, you get access to all those different formats. There's also a workbook involved that helps you dive even deeper and a support community that helps you connect with other people going through those 12 steps. The course also includes bonuses like a pre-diabetes or diabetes module. So if you are affected by that, you also can experience food peace as well. There's another component to help with advocating for better care, which is oh so important and a really big part of this podcast. So if you're interested in learning more, go to pcosandfoodpeace.com slash podcast. There you can connect with this course and there's also a course for dietitians. So maybe you work with a dietitian or you are one and you wanna learn how to do this type of system. I have a course for that too. So go to pcosandfoodpeace.com slash podcast for all the details. If you decide that the time is right for you to do the course, keep in mind, I have a special podcast coupon code. What you do when you go into checkout, it'll ask for a coupon code and just put the word in podcast and you will get 25% off the course. So again, go to pcosandfoodpeace.com slash podcast and you'll get all the details. And I am so excited for you to check it out. And I really think this is an important step that if the time is right, is something that can help you to feel more at home in your own skin. And honestly, everyone deserves that today because you are worthy and valuable just as you are. Kimmy and I cannot wait for you to connect with Laura Burns. Her interview that's coming up next is really important and I think is going to allow you to feel some support and companionship along your PCOS journey. A little bit about Laura. She's a fierce, fat, feminist yogi obsessed with bringing body-affirming yoga and self-love coaching into as many lives as possible. She's an E-R-Y-T 200 yoga teacher, the creator of Radical Body Love Yoga and Hoop Asana, and is committed to helping folks honor their bodies in each moment. Laura teaches body positive yoga classes in Houston, Texas, and on YouTube, and coaches people around the world. Find her at radicalbodylove.com. Our interview with Laura Burns is coming up in just a few seconds. First, a word from our podcast sponsor. This PCOS and Food Peace podcast is being brought to you by Theralogics, the makers of Avocetol, an inositol supplement with a blend of myo-inositol and dechiro-inositol in the body's optimal ratio of 40 to 1. Inositols are nutrients that help to decrease insulin resistance, promote menstrual regularity, restore ovulation, and balance hormone levels. In convenient powder form, Avocetol can be enjoyed in your favorite beverage or smoothie. 
available in both a canister and convenient single-serving packets. Avocetol contains 100% pure inositols with no additives. It also is the only inositol supplement that I recommend to my clients with PCOS because it does have that very important 40 to 1 ratio and is third-party tested. Order online today at theralogix.com. That's T-H-E-R-A-L-O-G-I-X.com. And during checkout, be sure to use my PRC code 127410, and you will get an exclusive PCOS and Food Peace podcast discount. Also, be sure to listen to the end of this episode where we will give you the opportunity to win a free 90-day supplies of Avocetol. So go to Theralogics.com and use the PRC at code 127410. Hey, Laura. Hey. Tell me how you figured out you have PCOS. Mm, well... I think that I had it for a long time before I ever found out. And I think that deep down I knew that I had it. But at that point, I was not a doctor visiting individual. And so I just ignored it. And um, when I finally found out is when I finally (laughs) forced myself to start going to the doctor again. And um, I walked in, I said, I think I have PCOS. And she said, uh, okay, well, let's see if you do. <laughs> she was very um, flustered that I just walked in and, and said that to her. Um, and so uh, finding out in that kind of way where I was like, and now I can just like check that off because I was pretty sure that I had it. <laughs> right. Well, what, what, um, what symptoms did you have that made you connect to PCOS? Um, super irregular periods. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went for a really like, it's like embarrassing to talk about how long I didn't go to the doctor and how long I did not have a period. But I know that I'm not the only one um, that does that kind of thing. Um, And so I had uh, super regular periods where I wouldn't have one for months and months and months uh, at a time. And I knew that that was not uh, the way to be. Um, And then I had heard about um, PCOS causing weight gain or making it really, really difficult to lose weight. And that is 100% how I am. Um, I just gain weight super fast and uh, like seemingly without any kind of reason. And um, the times in my life when I did try to lose weight, it was so hard despite doing, you know, I'm doing air quotes, like all the things I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just seeing, you know, what other people would talk about, I thought, well, and also, and here's the thing, you know, I'm fat. And so people say, well, if you're fat, like you have diabetes and PCOS and this and this and this. And so I just kind of like, well, then I probably have these things and don't know about it. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Like you, there's a a sense of that you feel like you caused it by your weight. Is that yeah, exactly. what you kind of believed? Okay. Oh, oh yeah. 100%. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Because of course, PCOS is totally genetic. It's, you know, and people are at so many different weights and I hate that even healthcare providers even put that out there. That is the, you know, pervasive message that's out there. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings up um, my next question. And and you actually described yourself in a really interesting way. I've never heard it referred to in this way. You said that you were not a doctor visiting individual, which I think <laughs> is really, um, it's kind of funny, but it also, it's like, it's so sad because I- Oh no, it's really sad. It's it, Because <laughs> I think doctors would be just so- um, 
I would hope it would make them sway their way of interacting with people if it knew that it kept people from getting care. But but yeah, how has your relationship with healthcare professionals been in relationship to your PCOS um, since the diagnosis? Well, since the diagnosis, um, really the only doctor that I visit uh, is the gynecologist. And um, my interactions with her have been interesting. She is not what I would call like fat positive or um, like really interested in kind of the stuff that you're interested in with the non-diet approach and stuff like that. So I have had to really stand up and be a self-advocate, which is very hard as somebody who is not trained to be like that. Um, So I've really had to do a lot of growing and learning myself and really pushing myself so that I can interact with her and not just feel like I'm being steamrolled over. Um, because Mm. she's a very kind person, like she's not a bad person, but she's just, you know, steeped in that classic, well, you need to lose weight, you know, and then X, Y, Z will happen and Mm. I'll win the lottery and everything will be perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and it's hard. And you know, what's interesting is that I found her on that, um, there is on the internet, the like fat friendly doctor list. Do you know about this? Yes, list? yes, yeah. And we can put a link yeah. to it in the show notes too. Yeah, yeah, you should. It's really helpful. However, like, <laughs> yeah, she's not fitting that. Houston, in the city of Houston, there were like maybe three gynecologists on that list. One has now retired, um, and I see you know one of the two that are left, and she's not even particularly you know super fat friendly. So that's like you know troubling. <laughs> yeah, that that's uh, as close as as Houston can get. Yeah, that's not okay. That's not okay. And you know, the thing too, is you said that, you know, you've, you've had to stand up for yourself and advocate and how you're not particularly trained, but I also, you know, I connect with that, like people who are being harmed or oppressed or marginalized, they shouldn't have to like stand up and advocate for themselves. So it's, (laughs) it's, it takes a lot of energy and, um, not everyone can do it. And so, um, I don't know, part of me is like, I, I hope you can appreciate that you did a lot, you know, by doing that. And, um, that's really hard. I agree. And, um, and I, the reason why I even like, I, whenever I talk about PCOS and I talk about being fat and going to the doctor and my whole journey with like reclaiming my power in terms of healthcare, I always talk about like, because sometimes people don't understand. They're like, just go to the doctor. It's fine. And I'm like, you clearly mm-hmm. have never had this experience of being ashamed or turned, literally turned away trying to go to the doctor because solely, you know, based on your size. Um, And so I always try to really explain that to people because they don't understand. If you haven't dealt with it, you just can't get it. And if you haven't dealt with it, you don't know what it feels like to sit in a doctor's office and be, you know, like breaking out in like, you know, nervous sweats (laughs) thinking, you know, what are they going to say to me? Mm -hmm. Are they going to, you know, are they, what are they going to say to me? What are they going to, you know, make me do in order to be able to continue to see that? It's like, you know, it's anxiety inducing. It's yeah. awful. It's sure. And you're a person seeking care. It's crazy. Right. It doesn't seem right. And especially if it's in a place that's supposed to be promoting health. Well, and you mentioned, you know, advocating. Was there anything that you found, especially for anyone listening who's like, okay, I want to try doing some of that. Is there any particular thing or statement or anything you would do that you found to be particularly helpful for communicating with physicians that sure. you need this kind of care? Yeah. And, um, there are like, I'm saying official, they're not like 
I don't know. There's there are people out there who have created like cards that you can take to the doctor with you that have like um, statements that you can read to the doctor or cards you can give to the doctor to help you. And I wish that I could remember off the top of my head. I think it's Reagan. Yeah, Reagan Chastain with Faces Reagan? with Yeah, I can put that in the okay. show notes too. They're wonderful yeah. cards. I highly recommend them. I have not used those, but I just wanted to mention them just in case somebody might find that helpful. So what I have found the most helpful, um, and this is, you know what, as I say this, this is like really my whole life. I am just trying to be super vulnerable and honest with people. And so when I went to the gynecologist for the first time after, I mean, like a decade is, I mean, awful. Like the shame that comes along Mm. with like admitting that you don't go to the doctor. Anyway, so a really like embarrassingly long amount of time. Um, I walked in and I said, you know, I check, you check in when you go to the doctor, whatever. I told the front desk lady, I said, listen, this is my situation. I haven't been a super long time because I get shame for my weight. Can you please just, you know, like let everyone know not to, you know, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so the X, Y, and Z are, um, I had found out ahead of time that they had the, um, a scale that would not record my weight because it didn't go high enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I said, I happen to know that your scale is not going to weigh me. Can you just not like make me stand there and let it try? Because I know that it's not going to. Um, can you see if you have the bigger blood pressure cuff? Um, can you not tell me um, unless I ask for what my blood pressure is? Like, I, you know, just like things that I know are difficult things that I've had to deal with in the past. And so my strategy going in, and this worked for me, and this would not work for everyone, is just to go in and say, listen, here's the situation. I'm super anxious to be here. You know, I've had really bad things happen in the past. Can you please just let anyone know who's going to be, you know, involved with my services here, that that's what's going on so they can like be chill. (laughs) Because the fact that I'm in this waiting room right now is a big deal. Yeah. Like don't be a jerk face so I can get my health taken care of. So you told the the first person when you like check in, like that person. I told her and she was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) you're a freak. All right. Um, No, she was very nice. And they're, you know, they're really sweet uh, women there. And so she obviously let the medical assistant know. And so she didn't try to weigh me. Um, I did ask what my blood pressure was because I was curious. Um, And I, she wasn't using a large cuff, which I don't actually like need, but I wanted to know if they had them. Um, But she, um, I said, you know, do you have a large cuff? And she said, no, we don't. She said, when we have somebody that needs one, we do it on their forearm. And so I was just like, okay. And I don't know if that is as effective, you know, Mm. at at taking your blood pressure. I'm not really sure, but I was like, okay, well, here's your answer. Um, I let, and I asked, because I didn't know, I said, do you have paper gowns or fabric ones? Because if they were paper, then I was going to ask to um, just get a drape instead because the paper gowns are so freaking small. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, but they had fabric ones. So it was great. They were much more accommodating. Oh, that's so cool. And you just nipped it in the bud right when you got there. You're like, all right, we're just going to go through this list. And yeah. I'm so glad that uh, that that first person actually went through and did all of that too. You know? Yeah. That's, and that's okay. the risk. Like she mm-hmm. maybe could have heard me say all that and just been like, all right, weirdo, whatever, and mm-hmm. not said anything to anyone. So to their credit, um, they've done a really good job at like communicating. And then I told them that I found them on the fat friendly doctor list and to let the doctor know, um, because I know that there are other people just that I personally am friends with who have been to see her because they found her on that list. And I said, she should know that she's on this list. And that's why people are coming to see her so that she can, you know, 
try to be as welcoming and inclusive as possible. Mm -hmm. To actually provide that safe space that so many people are saying that she does provide. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's that's really helpful information. I appreciate it. And I want to kind of turn the conversation another direction. And I'm thinking about when you figured out you had PCOS, how did you tell your loved ones about it? Well, let's see. So um, the first person I told was my husband. And, um, and we had had talks about how I thought that I had it before. And he said, you know, that's really likely. He's had... Um, girlfriends in the past who had PCOS. So he actually uh, knew more about it than I did. Wow. <laughs> yeah, which is really interesting. Um, but because I had spent so many years like willfully ignoring the fact that I thought that I had it so that I didn't have to go to the doctor, I just, I never really looked into it. I didn't, I didn't really want to know because I was, you know, like do to do to do looking the other direction. So what I told him and he was like, okay, so, you know, and he was like, uh, you know, really awesome about it. And like, you know, asking me, what did the doctor say? And, you know, what medications and, and stuff like that. So that was a really wonderful conversation because I didn't feel like I had to explain a bunch of stuff. Number one, I couldn't have, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it was great. That was like kind of best case scenario because, um, telling other people, you get a lot of like, well, what is that? And are you going to have to have surgery? And is what kind of treatments? And, you know, what does this mean? And it's like, oh my God, it's so overwhelming um, to have to explain something that you yourself are just trying to wrap your head around. Yeah. You almost need a Wikipedia page that you can just hand them or something be like, here, this is what it is. And by the way, we don't know a lot about it, but one in five women have it. (laughs) Exactly. So that was kind of my experience. It was great with my husband. It has been less great um, with other people. Unfortunately, people, their first reaction is not, oh, hey, let me go figure out what this means by myself or with other people on the internet. <laughs> but it is to bombard you with, oh my God, and this makes me feel like this. And then, you know, and they kind of make it about them or, wow. you know, expect you to do the emotional labor of explaining and teaching them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that stinks. Yeah. Y'all just look at Wikipedia or something, find some, Google it. it. Um, A really great way to help your friends with any chronic illness is just to Google that chronic illness. So you just know a little bit, so you don't have to have that person go through all that labor, like you said. Yeah. And if it's upsetting to you, like there, it's the concentric circles of Mm -hmm. whatever dealing with stuff. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. How you, um, gosh, I don't know if a listener is going to know what we're talking about, but I think I know you're saying like, it's a, you, you don't, um, you don't go in, you you go out, you go out. Yeah. So if, if I'm talking to you, Laura, about your chronic illness and I'm feeling scared for you, I wouldn't tell you my fear. I would tell my, my friend or my partner and, um, get that, need met that way instead of leaning on you about it. Right. Um, yeah, that's a really important part. I, I have had friends who've experienced cancer and that's one of the things I always revisit whenever I think about any of that part of it is, um, you know, I need to make sure I lean the right way <laughs> so I don't exactly. make it extra stressful. Yeah. Well, one of the complicated parts about PCOS that I think a lot of people, if they did look on Wikipedia or Dr. Google, um, whether they have it or not, is how food may or may not be involved with it. And there's tons of myths and diets. And I'm curious how PCOS has affected your relationship with food. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a good lot. word for it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, oh my God, I don't even know like how to start. So I, in particular, had a really difficult transition um, to, or not transition, but I just had a hard time after getting the official, you know, diagnosis and um, her telling me that my blood sugar was borderline diabetic. I kind of freaked out because I didn't know what to eat because, um, so when I got diagnosed, her, what she told me is you need to lose some weight. She said, you don't need to be, you know, you don't need to be like skinny, skinny, but I need you to lose some weight because blah, blah, blah. It'll make everything better with your PCOS. Um, and I was like, but that goes against what I believe in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, I am not a subscriber of diet culture. I'm not interested. I've been there. I've done that. I've ruined my metabolism. I don't really want to go back there. And now I'm hearing you need to lose weight you, and you're borderline diabetic because your blood sugar is high or your A1C is high. And so you need to not eat carbs. And I was like, okay, but here's the problem. I'm a vegetarian and I have a gluten issue, <laughs> um, which limits you know, what I can eat. And then also I'm allergic to eggs Wow. and I can't drink milk. Like I have all these things going on. And so it was like, I mean, it was a cluster. I, my head was like crazy chaotic, just like different voices, just like, Oh, eat this. No, eat this, eat this. And then at the same time, Hurricane Harvey was happening here in Houston. And so it was like insane. Wow. (laughs) What a a lot. It's like a metaphor of like what you were experiencing, you know? Yes. My, the outside world totally matched my inside world, uh, in that moment. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it was hard because we were having to, um, we couldn't leave the house. We could only eat what we had in the house. And I was flipping out because I was like, I'm, I can't eat this. I can't eat this. It was, I mean, it was really bad. And I have, um, an eating disorder. So I have binge eating disorder. And, um, so all I wanted to do was like binge on food that makes my body feel terrible, (laughs) of course. Um, So it was just, it was a crazy chaotic storm of emotions and confusion. And, um, I kept trying, I was trying to make appointments with a dietitian, but trying to find one that wasn't just going to be diet focused or, you know, like weight loss focused. Um, and also it was a hurricane. (laughs) Yeah. A bad one. Yeah. Yeah. A really bad hurricane. Anyway, so it's affected. So it, it, immediately affected my relationship with food because I was like, I literally don't know what to eat. And so I didn't eat for two days. This is so crazy. I didn't eat for two days because I didn't know what to eat. Mm. I was like, I don't want to eat the wrong thing. I'm like tearing up. It was so awful. Wow. That's so traumatic. And you were already in the midst of like a trauma. trauma. Yeah. With the hurricane Harvey. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You should have already met your trauma quota with that one. It was, it was not good. So I didn't eat. And Richard, my husband, was like, you need to eat some food. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Richard. Yes. <laughs> He's like, please eat something. It doesn't, like, in this moment, it doesn't matter. Just eat some food. And so I, I finally was like, okay, I can give myself permission to eat food. And it can be, you know, and I'm doing air quotes again, the wrong food, um, which I am super against thinking about food wrong and right and good and bad. Um, but it, it was really triggering. I totally slipped back into that. And then, so moving forward coming out of that, like a crazy chaotic time. Um, I, it took me months to figure out how am I going to eat where I can eat food that does not trigger my chronic illness. So I have, um, IBS. And so, um, depending on what my body is doing, I can eat or not eat certain foods. 
Mm-hmm. And I never know when it's going to change. So that's another complication. I just have a very difficult um, like situation with the food because of allergies and my IBS. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I started just like trying to figure out like what are foods that don't trigger me right now and how can I eat them in a way that makes my body feel good and also is what the doctor is saying. So this is when I was still like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to like try to lose some weight and eat low carb. So I went through that and then I was like, low carb sucks. Yeah, I can't live like this. <laughs> um, even when I eat a lot of food on this, I still feel hungry. This is stupid, and um, it was causing it was really causing me to regress in terms of my um, like body love and and body acceptance. It was really it was bad. So, and I know that dieting for me is not something that I can do um, and feel healthy and good about myself. So I was like, you know what? Screw this. I'm not going to do this low carb stuff. I'm just going to eat food that makes my body feel good and, you know, like make choices that I think will affirm my health um, and all of my health, mental and physical. And so I decided I'm not going to try to lose weight. I'm not going to do what the doctor said because, and so I'm not going to be compliant, um, but I think it's for the best. And so I, by being true to myself, I've kind of moved away from her insistence that I need to lose weight and have been able to kind of reclaim my, my, uh, relationship with my food and eat things that I know are good for me um, and not worry about everyone on the internet who says that I need to eat low carb and try to lose weight. Yeah, because um, they're all saying that, but they'll change eventually to something else. Yeah. But I really appreciate how you worded that, how you said that you were going to just make some changes that will affirm your health and what felt good to you. And I feel like if I could summarize all of the people we've talked to in the series, that's one of the things that I've picked up on is this realization that like, okay, there's these blanket recommendations, um, but they're not working for me. And my body's going to tell me me what I need. And everyone kind of figured out then what their body needed, but there needed to be this like alignment and um, somewhat of a trust, maybe not a love, but like a trust that it's going to give you that information. And yeah. um, so it sounds like you were able to connect with that then. Like, okay, you mm-hmm. were able to figure out what types of foods or how to eat or, you know, um, how much or whatever. You were able to figure out yeah. what, what affirms your health. And I think that my um, past history with um, working with intuitive eating really helped me there because I was able to go back and trust my body. Um, because when I was trying to do what the doctor said, you know, low carb, or she said um, completely no carb, which is wow. insane. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, and and try to lose weight. And when I was doing that, I was not trusting my body to know what it needed. Um, and so I just went back to trusting my body. And I also did make a big change. And I will mention this, because I have so many um, dietary restrictions and different triggers and stuff, I was, one of my issues with finding a meal at any given time, uh, was a protein source that wasn't going to upset my stomach or that was available to me. And so I did start eating seafood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been a really big shift for me. And I have a lot of feelings about that. I've been vegetarian or vegan my whole life. Oh, wow. Um, that must've been so the, hard to decide to the, do that. Yeah. I mean, it is, it, and it still kind of is, but the freedom that it's given me to be able to go out and eat and not have to plan for two hours. Like what, what am I going to eat? How am I going to build a meal? Um, has been really great. It's really allowed me a lot of ease, um, in just eating whenever I need to eat and not worrying about it. Um, 
So that's something. And just so if anyone ever listens to this and they're vegetarian or vegan and they're like, oh, I can never do that. I understand. I didn't think that I could do it either. Um, but I tried it and the benefits are outweighing the like emotional, uh, whatever, yeah. <laughs> the emotional hurt that it, it caused me to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I feel like vegetarianism and veganism for so many people is so close to their soul that I would never want to interfere with that. Like it's a yeah. value that's really important. And, um, I mean, I'm not going to interfere with that, that it would be really horrible on my part. <laughs> but one of the things that I've noticed, um, working with people, who are, um, and honestly more like a vegan type of, um, eating kind of style, I guess. I don't know if that's like the right word, but someone who's eating, um, just vegan, um, I find it takes longer to heal some parts of their inflammation and things like that. And, and as I say that, I'm like, it's not a blanket statement. It hasn't been everybody. So there may be someone listening who's doing just fine with it. And, mm-hmm. um, some of, I've had a number of clients who either needed to do what you did or just make a temporary kind of switch uh-huh. or yeah. um, animal products of some sort being consumed sometimes. Um, but they, for the most part, still ate either vegetarian or vegan, but just it was every once in a while they needed to because of that. They did, were not willing to sacrifice two hours before a meal to figure out, you know, what they were going to eat. Um, yeah. Because I think about how stressful that would be too on hard on your body to have to like play that kind of game of just like, what am I going to eat and and spinning your wheels, how that could be really hard on relationships and isolating and, and just really furthermore eating disorder pathology, which is that pathology is deadly. So you don't want to mess with it. Um, yeah. that sounds like a really hard decision. And, um, I'm glad that it's working for you, you know, that you found a way to, to make it work and I hope it gets easier. And I also like things like you talked about with the IBS, you know, I'm, i I hope as time goes on that that's less of an issue. So you have more flexibility so you can go back to vegetarianism, you know, more often. Anyway, one of the things I'm also curious about with this whole talk of food and um, we know PCOS affects every cell of your body. How has PCOS affected your relationship with your body? Number one, it actually gave me some answers. It really, um, you know, because I didn't go to the doctor for a long time. And, um, I think that I've had PCOS for much, much longer (laughs) than, um, since my diagnosis, um, it really just helped to kind of give some reasons as to why I had stuff going on with my body. And I, you know, previously did not understand. Um, so in a way the diagnosis was great because it allowed me to go, Oh, this is why I gain weight super easily, but cannot for the life of me, you know, lose any, no matter, you know, how hard I try. And it gave answers to, you know, why I had issues with my period, um, issues with fertility that we're dealing with, um, anxiety and depression. The more I read about people's experiences with PCOS, the more I hear how anxiety and depression like really go hand in hand with it. And that was really affirming to me. Like, it's nice to have a reason, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, not that it really changes anything, but it's nice to know like, Hey, this is why these things are happening, or this is potentially why, you know, this is happening. Um, and also like with mood swings and, um, stuff like that. Like I just, I never really understood. And so it's been actually good for me to have that, to figure it out and to move forward saying, okay, well, how can I now use those like symptoms or, or whatever co-occurring, you know, behaviors about myself to see like how my PCS is doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So figuring out reasons why things were happening was really helpful. Um, also, the just a large amount of fatigue that I deal with on a regular basis is nice. Um, and it has been challenging. So that was like the good side, like yay answers, yay reasons. And then the you know more challenging side is really for me, the biggest thing that affects my relationship with my body is the fertility aspect because, um, you know, it's funny, I never wanted kids. And then <laughs> I met my partner and we got married and I was like, oh, like all of a sudden, like, I get it. Now I understand why you would, you would even want a child. <laughs> and I, you know, oh, now I kind of want to have a baby. And now I'm like, oh, well, you may not be able to. And if you do, it's going to be really, really hard and it's going to have a lot of challenges. And so um, probably my biggest thing is just dealing with the fact that, you know, I may not be able to have a child naturally, which is fine. Um, I, I guess I'm in a better position than a lot of other people in that I don't think, I mean, I'll be sad and I'll have to grieve it, but I don't think it will be like a life shattering thing that it would be for maybe some other people Mm -hmm. because I've always wanted to be a foster parent. And so is my husband, like we both individually before we met really wanted to do that. And then we met and we both wanted it. And it was like, whoa, not a lot of people want to do that. (laughs) Um, but it's still really, you know, that would be very sad for me and for him. Um, So that's really the biggest thing. And my focus then is to be really kind and loving towards my body and towards my like reproductive parts and just, um, you know, being grateful for, you know, the functionality that I have and really just trying to be very thoughtful and strategic about remembering to practice self-care and be kind and affirming um, like every day. Because when I don't do it every day, like stuff starts to spiral Mm-hmm. Um, for me, like the whole world of body positivity and like body kindness and all that stuff is a daily, it's a daily action that you have. It's like brushing your teeth. You have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an action. Yeah. 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 You know, the, the fertility piece, um, something that I, a lot of people I will talk to, um, who have a similar kind of path that you describe of like, eh, I don't know if I really want kids. And then, and then PCOS happens and then a partner happens and they're like, oh, wait, maybe I want it as an option. And it's one of the things that is so challenging about PCOS from what other people have told me is that it, it just makes the option so much harder. And um, yeah, to get pregnant, it's probably going to take work. You know, some people, they could just fall pregnant or whatever people say, but, but yeah, <laughs> oops, I ran into him and now we're pregnant. Um, but you know, the, with so many people with PCOS, they have to take um, Clomid or something like that and the metformin and do all the cycle monitoring. And it's uh, so stressful. And, and and those work really well for so many people, not for everyone, but they work really well for a lot of people. But it's just another layer that you have to do in another part of the bullshit, you know, yeah. <laughs> and another time to have to go to um, – a physician or get healthcare. And, um, I see so much, um, discrimination with fertility treatment and, and mm-hmm. people given random amounts they have to lose before they're prescribed fertility medication. And, um, you know, that's something that I feel like is a really big problem within PCOS, um, treatment is that type of discrimination. Um, that makes me sad. So I, I, I hope that, you know, your journey to how your family's going to look is the way that, you want it to be, you know, however it's going to be, whether it's through fertility treatment or through fostering. And, um, you know, it sounds like you're making peace with what's happening. Yeah. I mean, that really hits the nail on the head is just like making peace with whatever happens, happens. We're going to do our best. We're going to do the work to try and, you know, have like a biological child. But 
Um, I'm also like very, I'm a little skeptical mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, my partner is much more, um, optimistic than I am about this. Um, but I think that comes from living in this body and dealing with all the stuff that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's like, and I don't think that that's rare. I talked to a lot of people about this. No, I don't uh, think it's rare either. No. <laughs> well, and you mentioned like the body positivity and how you said you actively have to include it in your everyday life. And something that Kimmy, who of course couldn't be um, in this interview today, something that Kimmy and I always talk about is how PCOS is a part of the body positive conversation and how it maybe different. Like, and so do you have any thoughts on how you perceive PCOS in the realm of body positivity? And, and if, if not PCOS, any other kind of chronic conditions? Mm-hmm. Well, so yes, I have a lot of thoughts on this. <laughs> As somebody who's really, you know, like immersed in the world of body positivity all day, every day, um, I see, I see a lot. And I see things that I think are great and things that I am like, mm, side eye. Mm-hmm. Um, And one of the biggest challenges that I see is that because the world of PCOS online, and I'll speak mostly online because that's where a lot of this happens, but the world of PCOS online is really diet culture-y. It's very steeped in weight loss and hair removal. Like, that's really what I see. And to me, weight loss and hair removal are not, like, at the core of body positivity. Um, And not saying that somebody who is wanting to lose weight or wanting to remove their um, you know, facial hair or, you know, wherever they're getting extra hair, um, is wrong and bad and that they shouldn't do that. But for me, that doesn't like jibe with my definition of embracing, um, and loving my body as it is in this moment. Um, and I know that that's a really controversial thing to say. And I have gotten a lot of heat from people that are like, you know, that's wrong. You shouldn't think that whatever, you know, like if I want to remove my hair and talk about it, you know, in a negative way, that's my right. Of course it is. And I can only speak for myself. That's why I say for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like <laughs> trying to head that off mm-hmm. at the past. Like mm-hmm. for me, that doesn't work with my body positivity. And so I personally struggle with this online because I don't find spaces where I feel like I fit in because mm-hmm. I looked at like um, message boards or forums online or Facebook groups or whatever. And it's just so negative about everything and that makes me feel really negative. And then I internalize that. It's just not a good look for me um, to be parts of those groups. And so the places that I would seek to find body positivity online then are not safe spaces for me because they're super focused on weight loss and super focused on hair removal and not just hair removal, but like villainizing and demonizing hair on women. Hmm. Have you seen the Instagram account Happy and Harry? Oh, no, I haven't seen that Oh, one. you need to check that out. I'll put it in the show notes too. But that's someone um, that has decided to not shave at all um, mm. with their experience with PCOS and has an Instagram account about it. So um, I think you appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there mm-hmm. are a number of people that are doing that. And I mm-hmm. really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And I also appreciate how much work they have to do on a daily basis to exist in this world yes. and the way they are. Yes. Like, yes. Man, mm-hmm. credit to them. That is difficult. I mean, that's mm-hmm. like, I know that people don't want to be like poster poster kids for bravery, but like, man, that's brave. Very brave. And um, Exhausting. yeah, thinking about all the different types of marginalization to experience at a higher weight and then also 
um, ha- appearing in a way that is not considered to be feminine, you know? And so, yeah, that, I, I yeah. agree. And, and I think it's important that, work. If they're a person of color, mm-hmm. if they're disabled, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. So many different, yeah, exactly. And I think that's an important part of the discussion. And what Kimmy and I talk about often is that um, there's many different layers to it. It's not perfect and... Um, we need to include all the voices and yet we need to do better. <laughs> you know, we need to do yeah. better at it. Um, you bring up some really great points. I appreciate it. Um, and with, on that note, like, what do you wish the world knew about PCOS? Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is that it's just that simple thing. What I learned from you that you don't have to diet in order to treat your PCOS. I mean, just like period blanket, like, if people, if they only knew that, you know, that one thing, which is, it sounds simple to say, but it is, I mean, to try and make people accept that is a huge undertaking. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. And why do you and think it, that is? Why, why, why is, why is it such a big deal? Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> the patriarchy, fat phobia. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also think too, like it, if, if one's not dieting, that means they're like, uh, a sloth yeah. on the couch or something yeah, like there's like this given up yeah it just it's, you know so that's the fat phobia right mm-hmm. so if you're not actively trying if i'm not as a you know a super fat uh which if you if people listening don't know what a super fat is it's just like somebody over the size or weight that people have deemed like acceptable fatness mm-hmm. um which in mainstream america is usually like a size 24 or I don't know what the weight would be, but like probably under 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. So if you're over 300 pounds, if you're a size 26 and above, you're probably a super fat. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, welcome to the world of people uh, disliking you even more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that as a super fat person, not trying to lose weight in order to treat my PCOS means that I've given up. It means that I don't, you know, obviously I don't believe this, but it means that I've given up that I don't care about myself, that I don't want to get better, that I don't want to address the problem, right? The root of my issue. Um, and that I just want to like be gross and lazy and lay on the couch and Mm -hmm. eat, you know, whole pizzas and cheeseburgers or like whatever. Like people have said this stuff to me. (laughs) Totally not okay. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I wish there wasn't that kind of reaction to it because, um, yeah, there's like this all or nothing kind of way of perceiving dieting. And I think dieting is such a pervasive part of our culture that mm-hmm. the turning away from it will feel like a dichotomy in itself, like this all or nothing reaction. And that's just so damaging. And I say this often, and, and I talk about not agreeing with me. Whenever I say PCOS or diets hurt PCOS more than any other condition, um, I really believe that because there's so much how so much to how diets harm our health with inflammation and, and PCOS has this chronic inflammation as a part of it. And it keeps you from going to the doctor and getting medicine and (laughs) things like that. And, um, yeah, that's part of it is that it's, it's just such a all or nothing experience with it. But yeah, we need to let, make sure everyone knows you don't have to diet to treat PCOS. Let's make sure they all know that. (laughs) Anything else, anything else you want them to know, like the world to know about PCOS? Well, you know, one of the kind of biggest uh, I don't know, light bulb moments or um, I don't know what the word is, but one of the greatest things that I heard after I got diagnosed was actually, so I took your course um, 
And I learned from you that it's not my fault, that I didn't cause my PCOS. And that is huge. I mean, huge, because the shame that comes along with the diagnosis and then all the other stuff like the cultural significance of having PCOS is huge and it's crushing and it's overwhelming. And so to have somebody saying, you didn't cause this, it's not your fault, was mind blowing and like heartening mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it was timely. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. So what is the best advice and the worst advice you've gotten to treat your PCOS? So the worst advice to me was to eat no carbs because I had to lose weight. <laughs> As I've talked about, that was mm-hmm. the worst possible thing. Um, worst advice because it really just triggered my eating disorder, it, the panic, the hurricane in my head. I mean, you know, we talked about that. It was terrible. Um, and the best advice I think has been, um, well, one that I told myself, you know, that it's okay to trust my body about food and, and all of that. But, and then from external would be the recommendation, um, to take Ovacetol because mm-hmm. that has really been, um, a game changer for me. It's been really good. Oh, that's good to hear. Um, would you be willing to share like what changes you noticed from it? Sure. So, um, I, since I've been taking, and I've been taking it for almost a year now and, um, I notice number one, so I don't get like sugar craving. Well, mm-hmm. okay. So I don't crave sweets, mm-hmm. but I, oh, you know, I crave like spaghetti mm-hmm. <laughs> bread. So I get carb cravings, just not like specifically sweet. Um, I know a lot of people crave sugar, but I just crave like pasta. I have, I always tell people like you have a sweet tooth. I have a pasta tooth. Um, <laughs> that's cute to think of a pasta tooth. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, that's been like huge for me, you know, for a really, really long time. It's just like craving and craving, um, carbs basically. And so it was really bad when I was doing no carb because it made it worse, made it yeah. so much worse. Um, and so, since I've been taking Ovacetol, I find that I don't have those carb cravings in the way that I used to. Um, and that when I do feel like, oh man, I really want a bowl of spaghetti. It's because I literally just want a bowl of spaghetti because it tastes mm. good or, you know, cause I've been thinking about it or I saw a picture or something. It's not because my body is just like, you know, like, oh, give me the carbs. I need them. Mm. Um, so that's been really big for me and really a blessing because I don't like just sit around thinking about, you know, food in that same way or like those specific kinds of foods. And then the second one is, um, so I mentioned before that I've been having, that I had had a lot of mood swings and stuff like that. Um, I've noticed since I've been taking Ovacetol that I don't get those in the way that I used to, um, kind of like almost temper tantrum-y feeling mood swings. Um, and you know, the only thing that I did different during that time is the Ovacetol. So, I mean, is it because of that? I don't actually know, but I think it's because of that. Mm-hmm. And when I don't take it, when I run out and I haven't gotten the new one yet, I feel those things start to creep back in if it takes too long in between um, shipments of mm-hmm. it. And so I really think that those two things are because of the Ovacetol mm-hmm. that I take in addition to metformin. Right. Yeah. Um, I think your body's just, it's telling you in its own way, you know, that this is something that's would you say you call it uh, affirming your health? You know, this is a, this is something that feels good, and when you don't get it, this is what happens. I, and I yeah. feel like that, especially the cravings of um, any kind of starch, whether it's sweet or pasta kind of uh, starches, 
it, it seems to be like this generalized kind of experience when insulin levels are high. And so the yeah. metformin plus the, the avocetol are seem to be treating that. That's, that's, that's great. I'm glad that you were able to find that it, it helped. And, you know, um, I'm totally putting you on the spot here, but, um, one of the things <laughs> that people will always say to me about, I hear this so often sitting in my office or talking to people affected by PCOS is how they just can't remember to take things like avocetol or fish oil or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they feel so much shame because they're like, it's so stupid. I just can't remember it. I'm like, seriously, if you were a fly on my wall, you would hear everyone else struggling with the same thing. But was there anything <laughs> that you did that helped you remember to take it? Are you just Uh, good at that kind of stuff? I mean, I am good at that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. um, but I also, it's very important to me now. So what I did with my metformin and ovocetol, since those are the only two things that I take twice a day, um, I don't keep them. So I am weird and I keep my medicine cabinet kind of things in the pantry in the kitchen um, because that's where I am when I need to take them. uh, And so it just works for me. So instead of keeping them in, in the cabinet, you know, in the, in the pantry, I keep them out on, um, the edge of my counter and I have little containers and they look cute. So you don't know what it is unless you're looking at it. Um, but I just keep them there. And so I always can see them. And so I remember Mm. for me, I'm very visual. So if I see something, it's a reminder to me to take it. Um, and I used to use the packets of Avocetol, but now I get this, the canister with Mm -hmm. the scoop because I think that's more environmentally friendly, Mm -hmm. but I do um, have some of the packets and I put them in my purses. They're just like backup. If I'm out, then I um, can hopefully remember, you know, oh, you have a packet in here, just take it. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminds me of like a tampon. Like I just put tampons on my purses. <laughs> and then when I'm like, oh crap, I don't have any more. I can look through all the purses. Like, okay, yeah. <laughs> there's got to be one here somewhere. So um, yeah, I, I find uh, there's a number of people who've said they've done something similar. Like they move the things that you take every day and put it in like in the pantry or put it out on the counter or somewhere with, cause especially with metformin, I know you need to take it with a meal um, yeah. or I'll tear you up. So like, if you're going to have it with food, you might as well just keep it there. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I put you totally on the spot. So thank you for giving me oh, that. You know I wanted to mention that brings up something in my mind, something that's been really good for me and food and managing PCOS is eating three meals a day, mm-hmm. um, which sounds like, basic, (laughs) like eat three meals a day, but I was not eating three meals a day. I was eating one or two meals a day because I just, I don't really like to eat food in the morning. I don't enjoy it. Um, so I wouldn't eat breakfast. I drink a lot of coffee. Sometimes I would not eat lunch and then I would just eat like a very big dinner, which is not a good way to be. Um, but this is really, so since my diagnosis, I have committed to eating three meals a day and it has, I mean, really changed the way that I feel. And so part of that is just like, hey, your body is like, thank you for eating three meals a day. Mm-hmm. But part of it is also managing, you know, my blood sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for telling me that because I was going to ask you, you know, what what tools have you found? Um, and was there anything that you can remember doing in that time period between um, the one or two-ish meals a day to go into three? Like, was there anything that you found that helped you to make that switch? Or was it kind of just like, okay, I just got to do it? Oh, it was just forcing myself. Okay. Okay. I'm always hunting for those kind of things like loopholes in that area because that yeah. is a, that's a very common kind of uh, desire, um, especially when people connect like, oh, I actually have more energy throughout the day. I'm not as fatigued. My mood feels better. Um, maybe yeah. even ovulate better because insulin levels are lower when there's more frequency with eating. But um, mm. yeah, that kind of one time a day and living off coffee is, I feel like it's part of the kind of snowball effect from 
the hormonal dysregulation. It just evolves over time and mm-hmm. then it ends up messing up sleep too, then which just keeps the cycle going and going and going. So um, yes, this is yeah. my life. Yeah. So is there anything that you have any tools that you would like to share that you use to navigate like your mental wellness with PCOS? Um, so for me, for my mental wellness, I think it's really about um, talking to people and not keeping my PCOS like under wraps. Um, so I talk about it with other people and I, you know, find out, oh, you have it too. Like, cool, we can mm-hmm. talk about that. Um, and I, so I make YouTube videos and I have started, I have, I don't have very many about PCOS, but I have plans to do a whole series about talking about personally my PCOS and my treatment and my progress, but also, um, making, so I'm a yoga teacher. So making, um, yoga videos and guided meditation videos specifically for people dealing with PCOS symptoms. Um, and for me that just, you know, that's kind of part of my self care. Like it makes me feel good to be creating resources to help other people that are dealing with stuff that I also deal with. Um, and by talking about it with lots of people, you know, I continue my vulnerability, my honesty, and really getting to connect with other people and hear their stories and know mm-hmm. that I am not the only one, you know, dealing with things. For sure. You're not. Yeah. Um, I remember a therapist at one point telling me, Julie, the advice you give to others is really the advice you need for yourself. <laughs> so like, oh, yeah. uh, I can see how that just would help you um, nurture that side of yourself too, as you're providing for others. Yeah. And um, it normalizes it also mm-hmm. in all of our minds, because like you said, so many, you know, was it one in five? Mm-hmm. Um, so many people are dealing with this, but it doesn't get talked about. There's so much shame surrounding it because it has to do with, you know, bodies and size and weight loss and fertility and, you know, hair and acne and all these things. Um, it's not a glamorous, sexy, you know, uh, thing to talk about. Um, and so I think that people are really just like not wanting to share about it or not feeling encouraged to share about it. Yeah. Yeah. There is a lot of shame and, um, I, I I really appreciate how you've been doing more of that and and connecting with other people about your own experiences because yeah I think it's taking away the shame in itself is one of the most powerful things and of course I'm this dietitian so I think about health all the time I think other things are more important but you know as a dietitian doing my work it's what I feel like I talk about the most but taking away <laughs> shame I know it promotes health so I'm all for mm-hmm. it um, yeah. has there been anything about PCOS that you've learned that surprised you? Well, yeah, <laughs> um, that so many people have it, um, that the, the symptoms or the, I don't know what's good. This are they symptoms or side effects or whatever. There's so many and so varied, you know, it's like, so if you deal with the stomach thing, you don't usually have like, also, you know, anxiety comes along with it or sleep problems or whatever. Like with PCOS, the range of things that happen because of it, um, or in addition to it are so broad. And it's just like, whenever I learned about new, I'm like, oh, I never knew that like sleep apnea was, uh, you know, related, like that's crazy. Um, And then you can, you know, see yourself in that or maybe not. But um, I'm continually surprised at all the things that are affected by PCOS. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's every cell of your body. And so many people will remember getting diagnosed and someone saying, well, come back to, to me when you want to get pregnant. You know, and but yet it, it's going to affect 
mood, uh, dry eye. It's going to affect hair, like we've talked about. It's going to affect um, cravings. So it's like affects so many parts, and it's mm-hmm. all so individual. So yeah, and I just never knew any of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I only knew, you know, about like fertility stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wish there was more understanding on the on the rest of it because it and mm-hmm. it it starts in the brain, so it's affecting. Um, there are reproductive consequences, but there's also these metabolic consequences too that um, are all kind of interrelated. So, mm-hmm. well, I'm wondering if there's anything that you wish you could tell yourself after you got diagnosed with PCOS. You know, I remember like when you were, you said your your um, partner had girlfriends in the past with PCOS and you all kind of were talking about it. Is there anything that you wish you could tell yourself after getting that official diagnosis? that it wasn't my fault that I didn't do it to myself by being fat. Yes. Oh, can we just yeah. make sure every listener knows that? <laughs> Let's just make sure. Oh That's like my greatest wish. If people know only one thing, it's that you didn't do this to yourself by being fat. Well, let's make sure we, um, steal it and like end it with that because I think that's so important. Um, I totally agree. And I think that would allow people then to go to the doctor more and advocate for better care. And I really appreciate your time and sharing your lived experience. I, I know it's, it's something that has a heavy burden to it. So I really appreciate you doing that. And if someone wants to find out more about your YouTube videos or your yoga teacher, um, connections that you have, uh, where's a good place for someone to learn more about you? Yeah. Um, so my website is radicalbodylove.com and that's also my name on Instagram and Facebook. And those are, um, great ways to kind of see what's going on. And there are links to my YouTube and my YouTube is just, uh, Laura Burns. So if you search that, you'll find it. Awesome. Thank you again. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the PCOS and Food Peace podcast. Do you want more Food Peace? Go to PCOSandFoodPeace.com slash podcast for a free download. It's your first three steps toward Food Peace with PCOS. There, you can also enter in a drawing for a free trial of Avocetol. That's a 90-day supply. Again, go to PCOSandFoodPeace.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening. The PCOS and Food Peace podcast was created by Julie Duffy Dillon and Kimmy Singh. Audio editor was Toby Lyles from 24 Sound. Show art by Katie Sanders from Pop and Gray. Music was by Tiny Music entitled Super Pop. Show notes were by Laura King. Thank you for listening. We hope this episode empowers you to experience more food peace. Peace.